It's the almost perfect podcast. Welcome to the Almost Perfect Podcast, a celebration of fuck-ups, failures, and falling flat on your face. This is a podcast that believes you can learn from experience, but that experience doesn't have to be your own. Hi, I'm Bob Perfect, and I'm a functional fuck-up. Let's learn from... Oh, <laughs> today we're doing me. My mistakes. Yes, let's learn from my mistakes. What is up, everybody? All of you. Thanks for tuning in. Yes, tuning in, because I'm still doing radio now. No, this is a podcast, Bob. People just click play. So thanks for clicking play on this podcast and on last week's podcast with Carvin Goldstone. Uh, we did gangbusters numbers on that. Now we did decent numbers, like nearly 100, which I'm pretty stoked about. I didn't expect to really do like, you know, thousands or anything like that. So I'm really, really stoked. And I got a lot of cool feedback from a lot of you who actually commented on this post that I put up earlier today asking you if you guys wanted to ask me questions, which is a thing we're going to do just now. So... Yeah, like I've had some really cool feedback from a lot of you. You guys have been vocal, you've messaged, you've commented, you've told me what you like about it and what you don't like a little bit. And that's cool. I'm stoked. And I want to yeah, grow with this thing. I've never done something quite like this before. And I've never done something like this before, like where I'm just going to talk into a mic for an hour with uh, nobody in front of me. I mean, I usually do that for five to ten minutes at a time on Winston on a Wednesday night. But uh, yeah, this is a little bit different because at least then there are other comedians around to share in my sadness. I'm joking. The Quinston's actually gotten a lot better lately. Um, it's becoming a bit of a consistent vibe and I'm stoked. I thought that it would take some time to get there. It's been like a year and a half of us doing it weekly. Uh, it was, you know, a thing that was done kind of monthly, bi-monthly, lots of different ways over the last five, six, seven, eight years. I don't even know how long comedy's actually been there. But since I turned it into a weekly thing uh, last year, it's really picked up a lot. I've seen the Durban comedy scene get involved, like, well, get a lot bigger. Uh, lots of people hit me up every week now to come and perform, and it's becoming a thing. So I'm stoked. I thought it would, you know, eventually get there, and it is. And I don't know why I'm getting into that right now, but I'm rambling because guess what, motherfuckers? I'm a little bit high. And I am very happy that I'm doing it legally. I am smoking marijuana in my own home. And it feels good. Like, I mean, marijuana always feels good. But this feels especially nice to know that I'm not a criminal for just partaking in a herb, man. You know, a little bit of a relaxant. Something that helps take the edge off and also helps focus me a little bit sometimes. Can also do the exact opposite of that. So we might go down to, uh, we might go on some tangents tonight. Well, you might be listening to this in the day, so today or whatever. I don't know how I'm meant to phrase things. It's not time for me, so there we go. Sorry if you hear trucks and everything in the background there. Um, I live in Ambilo. I live on Ambilo Road and that means it can be a little bit noisy. Um, okay, I'm looking at my notes here. So this is episode, like I said, is going to be just with me. And I'm going to be answering some questions that you guys asked me on Facebook. Because I did put it out there on Twitter. And I did put it out there on Instagram. But those motherfuckers think they're too good for me. So they didn't uh, reply. But the rest of you replied on Facebook. I got a lot of cool questions on there. And Aruna even messaged me privately 
on WhatsApp, so I've got a lot to actually get through tonight. And I'm a little bit nervous about it, uh, just in general, having to talk for so long and keep flow going. That's going to be quite a challenge for me, but we'll see if I can do it. And also, some of these questions are very personal. So I've never really been one to shy away from sharing my personal life, really. I'm kind of like an open book. But as I've gotten a bit older, that does feel like it might not be a smart move. But also, maybe I can do it in an entertaining way. We can all get something out of it. And you guys can learn from my mistakes. Because that is the point of this podcast. Uh, Maggie Brown uh, suggested in the DMs that that's something I go over a little bit. Why don't I let you know what this podcast is meant to be about? And the whole thing is, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I've been listening to them forever. Since like Mark Maron, eight years ago probably, was when I first started listening to podcasts. And it's something I wanted to be doing pretty much since then but of course we always put off the things that we want to do because we have you know imposter syndrome although is an imposter syndrome when you haven't even done the thing yet I don't know just we have that whole thing of like I don't know if I can do it I don't know if I should do it and so you take forever to actually get started doing it so that's why you're only hearing this now instead of eight years ago but also kind of took a while to figure out the direction I wanted to go in and what I wanted to do with it But when I listen to podcasts, what I like to get out of them is the cool stories from people, you know, about their lives that changed things a little bit, that impacted them, that you can get hope out of, that you can relate to, that you can see, hey, that's a person just like me. You know, like, I love, there was this one, like when Kevin Bacon was on WTF, he was talking about how he went back to the restaurant he was working at after like a movie opening or whatever, because... I don't know if he wasn't like allowed in or something, like he went to the premiere, but there was there was some issue or something, or he didn't feel welcome there or something. So yeah, he went back to the restaurant during, was either the premiere of the movie or like even like the Oscars or something like that. And that was just a really relatable story about like, even when you get success, it doesn't necessarily feel like success. And like, you know, you still get your comfort from where you were at, like, I guess. So that's kind of what I want to get out of people and I want us to take what we you know you take whatever you want to get out of this from this but personally I want to try and learn some tricks of the trade you know that is definitely a thing one or two questions that I'll ask people will be about literally navigating the industry they're in and how other people can do it better but it's also just you know emotional stuff and it's also just the everyday things that you know, define a person that I don't think, you know, we necessarily always discuss in podcasts, although a few people do it pretty well. And, you know, there are others that I'm looking at and that I'm learning from. So we'll see how this goes and where I get it. But for now, let's actually get started on the point of this evening. Yeah, we're going one take, one gun, machine gun. Let's hope I don't fuck it up. Um, Let's start off with, since I mentioned, actually, no, let's go Darren Cock asks, what is your real and full name? As in, if I go to Home Affairs, what will I find? Well, if you go to Home Affairs, you'll probably find a very long queue. But uh, if you want to know my full name, it is Darren Scott, quite simply. Uh, That's not what I was born. Actually, I was born Darren Thompson. But once my dad left, my mom changed it to Darren Scott because that's her surname. And so that's what I was for most of my life. But then... I guess I can tell you the story about how I became Bob and then Bob Perfect since it's a thing that people ask me all the time. So um, I became Bob because I was a skateboarder at the beachfront skate park 
when I was a teenager, like when I was a young teenager, when I, was, I think I was about 15, 16, 17, around that time was when I met a few people there. I think the one girl's name was Manette, Manette and Adrian. They were like just like people who hung out at the skate park with, you know, everyone else. And they one day asked me what my name was, and I was like, my name's Darren. And they were like, oh, I'll never remember that, because, yeah, Darren's clearly a complicated name. And I was like, oh, then just call me Bob. And so they called me Bob because they thought that was amusing, and they were like, Bob, Bob, Bob. And that became their little thing. And then one day, um, I had a party at my flat, and I invited them and a few other people, and told people, you know, hey, invite some people. And then they invited people saying, hey, come to Bob's house because they knew me as Bob. And so then when everyone got you, they're like, oh, you're Bob. And so slowly but surely, the name kind of took over. And also the one girl who called me Bob ended up becoming a bartender at Burn, which was a club I landed up attending a lot. And she would just always call me Bob. And so from there, it became a thing that everyone called me. I just kind of became Bob, uh, just standalone Bob, no perfect, no surname at all, no anything, just Bob. Um, people would always sing the No Effects song, Bob, at me, which was kind of weird, like, because, you know, it's got nothing to do with me, I'm not straight edge at all, or, I mean, maybe in five years' time, because, well, I guess I have been spent 15 years getting loaded already, so I might have to quit drinking soon, and then that song will be far too apt, but, yeah, so people were calling me Bob, and then I started doing stand-up comedy, because Bob was just my name then, uh, from there, I was just... It became the thing, and everyone just knew me as Bob. No one even knew my real name. No one cared. Like, and that was a cool thing about this, that scene back in the day, like in the punk, um, hardcore rock scene at the Winston and at Burn. Everyone had a different name, basically. Like, you had Meaty One, um, whose real name is Matt, and he was called Meaty One because whenever he'd order a pizza, he'd ask for the Meaty One. Um, there's Skeg, who was called Skeg because. Well, his nose uh, looked like a surfboard skeg, apparently. So not all of them were nice nicknames, but yeah, everyone just had a name that wasn't really their own, and you never really asked what someone's real name was. But then I started doing stand-up comedy, and I was just introduced as Bob all the time, you know, just Bob, Bob, Bob. And then eventually it was like, you know, well, what's your stage name going to be? And I thought about it, and my grand surname is Perfect. Originally, that's her maiden name uh, before she got married. And yeah, I figured that would be a pretty cool homage to her and also just a really good like nickname. And at that time, I was probably a lot more arrogant. <laughs> like I was definitely a more confident, maybe not confidence, arrogance, definitely the correct word because arrogance is confidence without reason. I was projecting a lot of confidence back then. So Bob Perfect seemed like a pretty good name. And yeah, that's how I got that name. Not that that was your question, but I figured since it was such a simple question, I might as well give a story to it. Um, let's see, what else can I figure out here? Uh, let's go with Damien Roots. How much has social media helped you develop a public voice? Completely and utterly in a lot of ways. Um, I wasn't great at talking to other people when I was younger. That's like when I was in school and stuff like that. I was, like I mentioned in the last podcast, I was hated a lot um, by a lot of different people because I was a abrasive person, <laughs> still kind of am, but I've always just, yeah, not really been one to shut up and kind of always caused fights or, or you know, stood up for myself depending on whose side you were on at the time. 
usually wasn't my side. Um, so yeah, I wasn't great at communicating with other people. And then I found MySpace, man. MySpace and Merck, like uh, M-I-R-C, which was a chat room back in the day, uh, long before Mixit and stuff like that. Um, yeah, where, yeah, a lot of, became an adult there. Uh, but anyway, uh, MySpace actually was where I first kind of, you know, got a bit of a personality that other people, well, I projected a personality that other people kind of liked and resonated with. And I mean, it was the same thing in real life because I'd found the Winston and Burn, like I mentioned just now. And that was where I first found myself feeling like accepted, even though I was still kind of an outcast there because I was a weird motherfucker, man. <laughs> like, oh, I would do the weirdest things and just say and do stupid things, like just for attention and just like, uh, I don't even know. Yeah, maybe we'll get into it just now. But basically through social media, it helped me to connect with lots of different people around the world, which was cool because I was always into like weird, obscure things, or at least I thought I was. And so being able to connect with people in America who were actually, you know, producing the stuff that I liked um, or part of the scenes where it was coming out of like, you know, like a lot of the hardcore and that that was coming out of America at the time. It was cool to interact with those communities and be a part of that. And then to also, yeah, from MySpace to Facebook to Twitter, I've definitely found it being a cool way to interact with other people where you actually are listened to, whereas I feel like I wasn't really listened to before. But I've also maybe figured out a way to be listened to. But nowadays, I feel really weird when it comes to social media because I don't necessarily feel like as like in touch with the matrix, I guess, as I was when I was younger. You know, like I used to rabble rouse a lot more, I guess. I used to, but I also used to just try to be a lot more controversial. And I also, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely... It's a weird thing to really think about or to quantify, but it definitely helped me develop a public voice, although I kind of wish I'd kind of step back from it a lot more and that in a weird way it developed a lot of why people don't necessarily like me was because of a lot of what they saw me saying and doing online. Because a lot of people have said that, that they don't like my online personality or used to say that at least, um, especially like on Twitter and especially I was quite abrasive. And yeah, so I wish that maybe wasn't the thing that I projected for a while, but that's probably just what I was going through. And that's why I was doing that. And it did get me attention. And I guess that's what I was looking for. And through the years, I've probably learned to be a lot more uh, responsible with social media and Overall, I definitely think stuff like MySpace and like forums back in the day and being able to discuss the things that I cared about with, you know, people gave me an outlet, it gave me a space, it gave me a voice. And now this is, yeah, it's the platform that's become the biggest soapbox for most people. And weirdly enough, it's the one that I'm stepping away from more and more and trying to develop other ways to communicate with people, you know, like this podcast, like with radio, like with comedy, writing, etc. It's, you know, more and more, I don't want to just, you know, put stuff out on social media. So, yeah, there you go. I think that's that question probably answered. Uh, the next one is by Nko Khaleng Skosana, who us white people know as Rita, because, yeah, we're white and that's how we do things. 
Anyway, she asks, how many gigs do you have on a whack month and what's your average income per month? Uh, this is hilarious because, I mean, even on a good month, I don't get that many gigs. Uh, the only gigs I really get are the gigs that I set up. Um, I'm not the most popular comedian in Durban by any means. And I'm okay with that, but that's why I'm just trying to create my own spaces and, you know, create my own path and create my own come up, man. You know, I'm also trying to work a lot harder on my material because I think I've been a bit inconsistent over the years. And I mean, I still can be, which is frustrating, but it's also just me. Like I can do it better. I know I can. So maybe once I'm a bit more... Um, what was I just saying? <laughs> oh, fuck. See, this is why you shouldn't do this when you're stoned. Uh, but yeah, when it could be more reliable, then maybe I'll get more bookings. But also, I think there's some personal issues with some people. And maybe there's also others just don't see me as, you know, a headliner or, you know, worth, um, you know, booking good slots. I do get asked to do open slots, but I don't really take them as much anymore if I have to, like, travel for them because that costs me money and I can't really just afford to be doing that. You know, I can't just be spending my money on, you know, Ubering to fucking Durban North or wherever, you know, just to do five minutes of comedy and then come home again. And then, you know, I could be spending that time making other money. And that's the thing. Most of my money actually comes from writing and from like it used to be organizing events. But now, yeah, writing, sometimes DJing and that sort of thing is really where I make my money. Uh, comedy, if I'm lucky, I can get like a grand or two and that's even with organizing you know the Winston and stuff like that with that I usually walk away with like 100 to 200 bucks that week like I split the money with the headline and host there so whatever comes through that goes three ways between us um and then other than that like yeah so some months you know what I walk away with so writing I make like between 500 to two grand well 500 to three grand in South Africa depending on who the client is but I make more of my money actually internationally. Like when you're writing for European stuff and for American stuff, you get paid in euros and dollars. And even though they're paying you like a cheap rate for their side, uh, you're getting paid a lot for outside because of the whole being paid in dollars thing. So that's how I actually sometimes make decent money. But most of the time I'll usually walk away with between four and six grand a month, which I know some of you are like, how the fuck are you doing that? And well, yeah, that's just the thing <laughs> I mean I'm never being really money driven I'm not a big like capitalist at all and that is something I'm working on you know I am trying to make a lot more money at the moment well not a lot more and I'm not really trying that hard so it's all a lie but I am focusing on doing things that maybe you know inject more income into my life and then I can do more projects with that because that's why I care about like making money is so that I can do more things with it which I guess most people you know, kind of do, but like, I'm not really one of those people who's like, I need money so I can buy a nice car, because, yeah, I don't give a fuck, like, I'd rather do a bigger festival, or something like that, you know, or invest in some shit, maybe, one day, like, depending on whatever projects come up in my life, and however much money I have, that's something I'll hopefully like to do, but, wow, I am just rambling there, no, no, we're not going down that road, uh, how many gigs do you have on a whack month, what's your you yeah, cool. I think that covers it. Four to six grand. But some, some like, months I make, like, you know, 10 to 50 grand. There's been, <laughs> you know, there's been some months where there's been a lot of money coming into my bank account for various, like, different projects and jobs and stuff like that. And then I save that. Like, I just put that money away and I budget fairly well these days, which is something 
that's how like I can survive on a little bit of money each month. I mean, well, I think four to six grand is not a lot of money. And I think a lot of people listening probably think that as well. But also some of you are like, yo, that's what I make. And yeah, respect to you for, you know, living this life as well. Um, I'm going to go on to the next one there. What is it? Oh, how do you handle rejection by Maggie Brown? Uh, so these days, like not really something I'm having to deal with too much. Like if you mean in terms of girls, like I've been in my current relationship for about four years now, or nearly four years now. And, you know, before that, for the last few years, I hadn't really struggled to, um, yeah, be with the people that I wanted to be with. Like I just, you know, didn't try for people who weren't into me. Like that was something that I learned, I guess, when I was younger. Because when I was younger, I definitely didn't handle rejection well at all. I was kind of like the worst of those guys that, you know, like is in the friend zone. And like I say that intentionally because that's how I thought at the time and was like, oh, you know, I want to be with you. And then they would be like, oh, but I just see you as a friend. And you're just like, oh, why are you my friend? And, you know, you just be like, like, oh, yeah, I guess I was abusive, like, to some people and just shitty and just, like, not good at the whole rejection thing when I was younger. Like, it hurt my ego a lot. And, you know, it happened to me quite a bit when, actually, this reminds me of a weird fucking story. When I was in primary school, um, I was in class and it was this girl, I'm not going to say her name because she still exists, but I was like, yeah, I had a big crush on her and I kind of spoke to someone about like, why isn't she into me? And the girl said like, oh, you know, when like, you know, your mom and dad got together and then like I was crying and because like I was feeling like really swack because I knew I was getting like dust and rejected. Like it wasn't like, I, she wasn't doing it softly like the way I just did there. She was like, being a bit swack about it um and like I then lied and just said oh no my dad's dead even though he's not dead I just wish he was nah that's not even true I don't really care but yeah uh that like was the thing like I didn't really handle rejection that well like most of my younger life but as I've gotten older um I've learned to you know rather just swim like you know go where you're wanted like, that's a lot easier way to not get rejected is to not, you know, you can pick up signs from people. Like, it's pretty simple. But in terms of other things, in terms of work, in terms of that sort of stuff, I mean, fuck, like, eventually you just get used to it. Like, that's one of the things, like, I mean, with writing and with all these different things that you do, you know, like, you put out your work and you hope people like it and you hope people want it or whatever and sometimes they don't you know and that to me can suck it can't hurt it can be like oh fuck what am I doing wrong why you know why me like I suck I'm the worst but really like it's one of those things that I also then listen to other podcasts and I hear about the times other people got you know their shit rejected and things didn't work out for them and you know see that life worked out you know just fine for them and I look at my own life and go you know what you'll probably be fine like, you've gone through this before, like, you know, you've done lots of other things, people like you, you know, you are relatively respected in your craft, you, you know, you're hired by big names and stuff like that, so, you know, just carry on doing your thing, and so that's, I guess, how I handle rejection, I've just developed a bit more confidence in myself, I've just, 
Um, yeah, uh, just go, cool, you're okay, you're going to be fine, you can live. And then that's just kind of how it goes. But when I was younger, definitely not, definitely the whole world was crushing down on me and my whole, like, I just couldn't live with shit. Like any kind of rejection, not just from girls, just in general, like my heart would like drop and just fucking smash. And I couldn't really handle emotionally. I would cry a lot with that sort of thing. So yeah, I guess I've grown a lot in that regard. So thanks for the question because it makes me look at my own life. It makes me go, hey, you're getting better, I think. Um, Musa, Zondi, if you had to redo the last 10 years of your life, what would you do differently? I would spend less time on fucking social media. Holy shit, that is definitely one of the things. I would also drink less Coca-Cola. Um, and I would have one less beer each time I went out and put that money away in a savings account. And then, yeah, just live off of that when, like, I'm older. Because, holy shit, the amount of fucking drinks I used to have. Like, the amount of money I spent. Like, just, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that if I could redo, I wouldn't do as much. I'd probably have not, like, quit playing Magic the Gathering. Because um, I got back into that, like, in later in my 20s. But when I was in my early 20s, I was like, oh, it's fucking lame and shit like that. You know, like, I kind of rejected my nerdy self. And so... I would definitely do that differently because also my magic collection would have been would be worth like fuckloads more if I just kept the cards I had back when I was younger. Um, other than that, I don't know. Probably a few less conflicts would be cool. Like, and when I say like I would like to spend less time on social media, a lot of that is you know based on yeah a lot of the fights and stupid shit that I used to have on social media. I used to enjoy the conflict and you know create quite a fucking stir. And that's the kind of stuff I'm not really that proud of anymore. And I'm not really that into. Um, it's just not where I'm at anymore. So I kind of don't like that part of me and that I did those sort of things. But other than that, you know, like it's hard to look at your life and go, what would you redo? What would you do differently? Because you're never going to get that chance to do that. Like you're always just going to be stuck on this trajectory. And so... If you want to change something, you just do that. Like, you know, if you look at your life and you go, well, what do I want to change? Then you can still do that. You still have that opportunity to do that. So, yeah, that's kind of how I see things is, you know, if I want to do stuff differently, I'd try and do those things differently. That's why, like, you know, I'm doing underground comedy and why we're doing the festival and stuff like that. Um, it's just because, yeah, I want to take the actions Instead of just thinking about what would I do differently, I actually just try and do them differently, I guess. Um, hope that's a good enough answer. I don't know. I don't really, yeah, want to redo the last 10 years of my life. I think for the most part, it's been really fun, really interesting. Like, it's taught me a lot. I've, I'm grateful for a lot of the lessons for the people in my life, for, you know, the good and the bad things. It's... You've got to appreciate that shit to like and laugh. Like, that's the way I feel. And, but yeah, other than that, talking like less shit on the internet and spending that time maybe creating stuff would have been better. Uh, how many people is too many people for a comedy gig roster? This is by Akhil Maharaj. And this is Akhil Maharaj with an R. Well, you know, people are doing 20 and 5 gigs. So I don't fucking know, man. Like, I, I genuinely don't know. Uh, for underground comedy, we've had to make the roster longer now because, yeah, there's too many people. We've got nearly 50 people on the roster. And so I'm extending it to like seven or eight people 
on each night or well, each week so that we can yeah just accommodate more comedians and get more people on stage um but personally I don't know like I like different kinds of gigs for different kinds of vibes sometimes like my favorite's kind of like two openers uh, support slot and then the headliner and then obviously a host so it's like five minutes five minutes ten minutes half an hour and yeah then you're you're done it's nice and simple short one or you can even do that with a bit longer you know you go 10 10 20 and then the last guy does like half an hour to 40 minutes depending on you know how much you're charging and who's there like what the people are there for uh, or where you're at you know like if you're in a theater typically you would do a little bit longer you might do an interval um but yeah with the winston and stuff i think we're about at the max now I don't really like doing comedy gigs with super long rosters because people lose focus um, and then, you know, they go outside, they smoke, they talk and that kind of fucks up the whole vibe of the gig. But if you do like long rostered gigs, then have intervals because there are like cool gigs that happen, you know, at like the playhouse and stuff that have like 20, 30 people or whatever. And as long as they're managed correctly, I mean, I think anything can work. But then you get lost in like the whole shuffle of all of it. It's a weird one because, yeah, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it before. But I like a bit of a, you know, shorter roster with a bit of a slicker lineup. Then the next Akil Maharaj, A-K-H-E-E-L Maharaj. Uh, Both of these guys are comedians, by the way, which is pretty cool that we've got two comedians with the same name. I mean, one of you does have to change it, just so you know that. Like, I know we've been talking about the roast battle for it, but I mean, I changed mine. Well, actually, if one of you says it's a racist thing, then one of you has to change it, because like, yeah, I mean, I can never be Darren Scott because you know what happened there. I mean, uh, yeah, that Akil Maharaj says, can you tell us a few stories of moments in your life that have defined your inner set of rules? Easy the time you got caught up lying and decided never to lie again. No, that's not me. Uh, all the time you got your first pet and you always remembered how it made you feel and that's why you like animals now. Uh, I don't know, my first pet like broke my heart because, yeah, it died when I was like two because its name was Bubbles and it was a fucking hamster. And so that's why I've always had a bit of a weird relationship with animals since. Anyway, uh, that sort of thing. Um, I don't know, it's a bit of a weird one. Like, it's not just one, there aren't, like, specific moments or anything like that. It's just a general, you know, life thing. Like, uh, seeing the world around me and reacting to it has developed my inner set of rules. And my inner set of rules are fairly flexible. Like, I I don't know if that comes across with the way I am on the internet, but I definitely... I'm not like stuck on one thing. Um, I don't like. I guess yeah. You know, I do have my morals. I do have my principles and stuff like that. But a lot of it does just come from reading. You know, philosophy. Like you know, Sophie's World. When I was younger, was one of those books that definitely made me think a lot more about you know who I am, about the world, about philosophy, about those sorts of things. Um, so there, I guess that's kind of an influence there, but just growing up in Mbilo, man, like being like a white person who sees that, you know, their life's probably a little bit better than people around them. And also then seeing like, you know, you, you walk up the road from where I stay, where it's not poverty, but it's not exactly, you know, the suburbs. It's like somewhere in between there. And 
you know, you walk up the road to Freer Road and it's a lot linear. It's a lot, you walk even higher and it's literally like fucking mansions and shit. And so the inequality in the world has always been a thing that's just bugged me. And I think that's not just inequality, but like just the way the world works in a way that doesn't actually work. Like the structures that are in place, like I think a large portion of my issues that I had in school was because I hated like the hierarchy. I hated the power dynamics of stuff. And I guess, I don't know what caused all of that. Um, but yeah, that's just the way I've literally almost always felt. Like I've always just felt a bit at odds with the rest of the world, with the way things are and feel like there's not enough justice and like things aren't really fair enough. And so, I don't know, I guess that's, those are the things that have influenced me a lot with regards to my inner set of rules. Like I do try my best to, yeah, like be fair, be reasonable to treat others well obviously I mean that sounds fucking lame but where you can you know be respectful to everyone be cool like and I just want I do want equality for all I am on the socialist like tip when it comes to things I think that you know we could have the whole world at our like okay so when I was like 16 when I was younger uh kind of got influenced by Che Guevara a bit there even though, like, I don't really read about, like, you know, the bad shit he did. But just, you know, him as an icon and figurehead for the whole socialist movement in Cuba. But I was also a bit into sci-fi and stuff. And I did see the way the world was going and that we would eventually be here at this point where with automation being such a big thing. And I always thought that, you know, automation would be the savior of a lot of our problems. That we could automate everything that we would need um, from you know, clothes to food to everything, like, you know, any necessities. I mean, we can now print houses. So a part of me always just felt like that would be the, like what would happen and that, you know, everyone would be okay then, like everything would work out and we could give everyone everything and we could all work together for the social good, but then we wouldn't even have to work anymore. Like we could all just park fucking cheesy and do what we enjoy. And that's kind of like a weird thing that I've always wanted to happen that's like I don't okay fuck man I don't know if that answered your question at all but that's what I thought about when you asked that question <laughs> and I am a little bit high so fuck hopefully you guys are enjoying this are you enjoying this let me know if not fuck you uh the next one is by Conrad Heindrich Who's your favorite weed dealer in Durban? What's your go-to weed when you got money to blow? And what's your go-to weed when you are broke? Will you be cultivating weed for personal use in the future if you aren't doing it already? What do you think of the Concord judgment? And do you even like weed or are you an addict? Well, I do like weed and I am an addict. I mean, I can't like deny that. Like to say that I'm not addicted to weed would just be lying to myself. Um, but at the same time, it is one of those things that I feel like does give me, you know, <laughs> it's a weird thing to talk about I guess because I know other people are going to hear it and it's a bit of an internal dialogue that I have with myself and it might be denial in some way and even just to admit that's a bit weird whilst I'm rolling up a joint and I'm definitely going to light it up um, but yeah I do smoke weed pretty much every day and I do find it helps my mood like it genuinely I'm someone who gets very tense and who feels the weight of the world a bit like that's like how it feels to me and so smoking marijuana 
definitely helps take that edge off. And I find I can concentrate more. I find I can be more productive and that I can do more things like with it. Like it genuinely feels like one of those things like, you know, other people take other kinds of medicine for their ADD and shit like that. And, you know, you probably shouldn't self-diagnose yourself. And you, I definitely do need to go see a psychologist at some point about all of this. But yeah, I do like weed and I am an addict and I do find it helps me and I do enjoy smoking it a lot. What I think of the Concord judgments is, fuck yeah, like that's dope. Like we, it's a good start. Although I don't know if I'm, I'm not keen for the legalization of weed and that I'm not keen for the capitalization of weed. It's going to become such a business fucking thing. It's going to, you know, it's probably going to become inaccessible for a lot of people who, you know, have been in the game for a long time now. It's raises a lot of weird questions about, you know, people who were arrested for it and are still in jail. Are they going to get their records expunged? What is the deal with all of that? But it's a good step. Like, we should be allowed to smoke weed. I mean, we should be allowed to grow it. We should be allowed to have it in our own homes. And cool, we're here. That's a good step. Uh, will I be cultivating weed for personal use in the future if I'm not doing it already? I'm not doing it already, but yes, that's definitely a plan. Um, I want to save up a little bit of money and invest in a grow kit. Because, yeah, why would I pay for weed if I don't have to? And then who's my favorite weed dealer in Durban? Definitely not answering that question. Uh, what's my go-to weed when i got money to blow? And what's your go-to weed when you're broke? Both the same. I smoke the same weed. Like, I don't, like I'm not one of those people who cares about, um, you know, like, super good fucking weed. I'm actually not a big fan of that shit that gets you, like, super high. I like a nice, mellow, like, just chilled vibe. So I smoke a cross which is just a cross between uh, Swazi and Durban Poison. And you can get it from various places. And yeah, I feel it puts me right in the middle. So I like it. Next up, Gareth Morris. Hale, what's the biggest mistake you have ever made and how did you recover from it? Casual. Casual. Chilled questions. Not at all fucking... God damn it. Okay, let's try. Um... So the biggest mistake I made, like just in like a straight up mistake, like a thing that like I wish I hadn't done because it cost me like quite a bit in a few different ways is um, not putting water in my fucking car and having my head gasket blow on the way to the airport to go visit my girlfriend in Cape Town and then having to sell the car for much less than I paid for it because I couldn't afford to fix the head gasket because that would cost almost as much as I paid for the car. So that's a mistake that I definitely like feel like is like my biggest like just like laugh mistake. Like that's such a fucking dumb thing to do. And I it's impacted me, you know, pretty heavily, although like I don't have to pay for petrol. So, you know, some positives there. But that's you know, how did I recover from that? Fuck, like, I just, you know, started walking again, started using taxis, and I haven't really stopped doing that since. I just use public transport and shit now. And, but emotionally, that shit, like, hit me pretty hard. I mean, you know, I'd saved money, I'd worked, like, quite a bit, and then I bought this car from my mom, and then, you know, I fuck it up, and it's just, you know, my family already thinks I'm a bit of a fucking irresponsible fuck-up, so they definitely continued to think that after that and that sucked but I feel like that's probably not the answer you want from this question and like so what this really made me think about is something that I can't really consider too much of a mistake because 
it turned out, you know, pretty good for me in the long term. But there is a situation that I regret the way it went down and I kind of wish hadn't happened uh, with a few friends of mine. Uh, when I started, so I wanted to do this thing, uh, like create like our own like odd future, essentially in Durban. Like that was the idea, you know, get a group of creatives together with different kinds of talents and, you know, to all push each other, to all as a unit, you know, push each other's work. And so I collaborated with a few friends to start with this idea, but along the way, it kind of shifted a little bit and we, you know, started talking about being a record label and then, you know, like uh, doing PR for people and that sort of thing and making it into more of a business. And eventually that kind of broke down because like I wasn't too happy with the power structures uh, in place and just with the direction and just with the whole, I don't know, attitude and feel and vibe that was going down at the time. Like I don't want to get too into the specifics of everything, but shit went down that I just wasn't really cool with and I felt, fuck it, fuck these O's, fuck everything. I am out of here. And I quite like publicly on the internet was like, fuck this shit. Um, Cause yeah, the, uh, what was it? Like sad life, never rich. And then I was like, rad life, never snitch or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, it was a little bit petty. I can, I can be. And you know, that kind of led me to just rejecting the whole music scene essentially. Uh, because, well not really, cause I mean, I still did my work, but I just, yeah, like, so once I, yeah, like, pulled out of the whole thing, no one really followed me, man. Like, you know, no one, no one joined me on this side of the fence. Everyone was kind of still, like, in their little thing. And was like, yo, we're we just going to keep doing this thing. Okay. Although I wasn't like, oh, okay. I was actually like, well, fuck you then. Um, but a little bit of a fire under my ass. And it made me take stock of my own life and what I wanted to do. And it made me start focusing more on my own projects and on things like, you know, comedy. Um, on, cause you know, before that, I don't know, man, like I didn't take myself seriously enough as a comedian. Like, you know, I, like I didn't believe that I was a comedian necessarily. Like it felt like I was just doing it for fun. Well, not like even like that I was doing it for fun. Like, cause I wasn't just doing it for fun. I was doing it cause I wanted to be a comedian, but I just, you know, didn't really feel like I was one. And so I didn't put all my effort into it and I didn't focus on it as much. And I focused on other people's careers and trying to build their things. And, you know, from there, I just, yeah, like figured, fuck it. Let me focus on my own comedy career. Let me focus on underground comedy. Let me, you know, start a comedy festival. Uh, that was something that Carvin Goldstone and I chatted about last year. And we were actually meant to work on it a lot more together. And it's something that he, I think, is going to be a lot more involved in next year. Um, which is pretty cool. Uh, we're still discussing the exact details of all of that, but uh, we'd definitely like his guidance on the festival. Um, but yeah, so, but one of the things that I did hate about that situation was that I landed up not talking to one of my best friends for like nearly a year. And that fucking, like, that hurt a lot because we'd see each other out and we just like wouldn't talk to each other. And it was weird and it was petty and like, just fucking like it's a shitty thing like to do and you know eventually one night we just we were both out and like we were in the same circle of friends and just kind of just like 
spoke <laughs> just like fuck it whatever and you know became friends again over like time but you know that's even something that took a long time to recover from and that I felt like you know rejected even though I kind of withdrew so but you know people not taking my side and people yeah sticking to the other vibe was yeah like it felt like I guess that goes back to the rejection thing that Maggie uh so that's like coming full circle there and I guess I don't deal with rejection as well as I imagine I do yet so something to still work on but how did I recover from it well yeah we eventually became friends again and I just focused on the things that I figured would you know make me happy uh not necessarily make not even make me happy but just the things that I want to do you know the impact I want to have and you know it's no longer really within those scenes or that sphere so that's kind of the vibe I guess I hope that answers your question uh next up is Catherine Jenkins uh she says everyone's getting so deep and I know the answer to this question because of your history stage diving lols but boxes or briefs and why bob why well I know the uh like history of day stage diving thing uh, you've probably seen pictures and you would have seen me wearing briefs back then and that's because at the time I'd actually done an advert for an upstart uh, underwear company called Corrupt now I did like a character for them called Underwear Man where I went around harassing people in real life like for real reels so I went around fucking with people like this was when there was the news like no smoking like within like so many feet of the um entrance of a place so I'd run out with a tape measure and like try and like measure from so the end of someone's smoke and then like knock it out their hands if they were like closer than the thing and like you know call like that kind of shit um so because of that I just got given a fuck ton of briefs I had a lot of them for many many years and so that's why I wore those Um I do like the more boxer brief like you know the shorts ones to be honest and I also freeball it quite often so <laughs> hope that's uh, the the question uh, the answer that you wanted from that question now let me see Aruna asked a bunch of questions so I'm just going to answer these now and I feel like this is getting a bit long sorry I don't know if anyone's going to listen to something this long where I'm just rambling and getting stoned whilst Well, I mean, you guys asked the question, so fuck it. Let's carry on. What who were your biggest influences growing up? Um, Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> like, there, like there was a time where I wouldn't admit that. Like, I would just be like a little bit ashamed that that's what I, you know, grew up listening to. But yeah, they were big, big influence in my young teen years. Chris Rock was like a big influence. I watched Never Scared and Bigger and Blacker like a million times, like at least growing up. That was just my shit. uh skateboarding skate magazines blunt magazine that was a big influence in my life south park was a big influence in my life like i mentioned che guevara like as a concept you know that was sold to us as like you know a righteous dude and not a murderous dude uh yeah you know i was pretty into him at the time and then when i got into hardcore uh really really got into a band called every time i die and that influenced me a lot <laughs> like maybe not for the best but there were some nihilistic lyrics in there that I kind of clung to for a while but yeah like those were some big influences every time I die especially and I just saw that Keith Buckley the lead singer he's just put out a book which I need to get because his lyrics like once once I found like there's a song called Ebolarama um I could probably recite the whole thing to you now but I won't and 
yeah like once i just heard that like it was just fuck it it was all over i was like this is my band this is everything and then i got into yeah the hardcore scene and stuff like that and that just became my life but in the early days yeah raging as machine chris rock south park that sort of thing was hugely influential in my life um like i definitely attribute like watching chris rock to being why i wanted to be a stand-up comedian like that yeah without a doubt was one of the things that just made me go i want to do that even though it was also like i could never fucking do that and yet here we are what was the best thing and worst thing uh of running or the biggest stumbling block about organizing the heat city nights festival shit uh biggest stumbling block is always money although this year was pretty dope because we had spa come on board and sponsor us and so didn't have those issues I managed to pay everyone um yeah like we had a bit of marketing budget we got word out there people came through but it's the hardest part is you know I didn't the basically most of myself and don't have a lot of PR power on my own so next year that's something we're going to look at we're going to get like a proper PR person involved to handle that and then the comedians man that's another stumbling block cuz some people just don't fucking take things seriously enough or don't appreciate things like enough and they don't see you know what you're trying to do for them i guess so that sucks a bit that some people weren't as enthusiastic about it as, as they could have been or as well prepared but then i say that and i look at my own sets like i've got the footage now and i was just like ugh you were just crap like you didn't prepare properly why and then at the same time I was bitching about other people so I did have some other things to do but if other people can you know put on festivals and also perform well then I need to be able to do that too but yeah being able to like having well not having to because I wanted to perform as well but performing and organizing and also just taking on as much as I did on my own is probably the hardest hardest things or the biggest stumbling blocks but those are things I'm going to work on for next year where going to have more people involved hopefully and hopefully you can get a bit more money now that we've had sponsors and have stuff to work off of uh who are my comedic influences uh bill hicks like definitely especially like at least philosophically with the whole fuck like fuck you attitude about everything and also i do think he was ahead of his time even though now he might seem a little bit outdated i mean it's weird how life works that way so I definitely early on in my comedy career he was one of the guys that I just like consumed everything. I read like biographies on him and just super inspired by his path in life although you know conflicting with like having conflict with everyone probably stuff that he regrets. Well, you can't really regret anything when you're dead. But yeah, just listening to other people talk and so when you're younger you definitely think conflicts like a good thing or at least not a good thing but something you should do and yeah as you get older you're like yeah maybe maybe I shouldn't burn all those bridges um but other way bill hicks yeah i like a lot of what he does in even though i'm not like on that storyteller tip like although i'm trying to get there so i guess i just need to work on it and yeah bob burnham is another comedic influence i just love the structure of everything he does he's so fucking funny he's just like he to me is just the best living comedian and he's not even doing stand up comedy anymore because he gets anxiety and has like panic attacks and stuff on stage which you know i can kind of relate to not that that's happened to me but i definitely get not feeling comfortable up there and yeah just hold on one sec but when i saw his first show what 
like no yeah wor- no words 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 like fuck me like I was done I was just like this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life like it's just structurally so sound it's just so well written from start to finish you know the yeah like it builds it ebbs it like there's so many different things that he does like in each of his show it's just so deep it's so fucking cerebral and yeah like I worry that I mean I'm not that smart I'll never be able to do that and you know what that's fine I just have to keep doing me but fuck when that exists it does make it hard (laughs) like to be a stand-up comedian I think and then uh lastly I guess I'll say Jim Jeffries and that might be a bit of a controversial one for some people because of my general, you know, outlook on life and that being a misogynist and all that's bad. But also appreciate the character. appreciate what he does. I think he's fucking hilarious. And in comedic context, I do still, yeah, appreciate it. Like, I, I'm not even going to try and justify things or anything like that. He says some horrible, horrible things. And I still fucking laugh at them because I find him hilarious. I think some of his takes on the world and definitely he's grown up a lot more as well and he's someone who will even say like hey some of the things i said back in the day bit shady but also fuck it because it's all just comedy and while i'm also on that tip of yeah we should be careful with our words i'm also like kind of like oh fuck it it is just comedy like did you laugh at the joke was it a good joke then cool like but then again people not like comedy is subjective and stuff like that so you're always no matter what i guess going to offend people and Intent does matter and blah, blah, blah. I actually don't want to get into that conversation right now. Um, especially since, I guess, another one of my influences, the last thing, like, Lenny Bruce would be lame to say because I didn't grow up, you know, listening to him or anything. I found him a little bit later in my life. But after reading How to Talk Dirty and Influence People, which was, like, his book, I definitely felt, like, influenced. <laughs> like, he, he was a true influencer. There's some truly incredible like stories that he tells in that book and I also appreciate his spirit and why he did what he did and how he did it and you know like his material doesn't really transcend time like it just doesn't but at the same time well not I mean some of it does obviously but some of it just sounds pretty whack by like modern day standards but you can get what he was doing for his time, like he was doing something extraordinary. And yeah, it influenced me in the weirdest way in that I kind of finished reading it the day before the infamous set at Splashy Fen, where I uh, swore God in the face. Well, not in the face, but on Easter Sunday, which is something that actually now I probably would never do. Like, I'm glad I did it at that time with what I was feeling and how I was feeling about, you know, everything. But yeah, I read his book and I did some mushrooms. And then the next day I performed like the most blasphemous like sets I've ever performed in my life on Easter Sunday at Splashy Fen. I got pulled off the stage. I got like a three quarter page in the newspaper. People all over the country kind of knew who I was. And that was interesting for a little bit. But yeah i uh, don't do that sort of stuff anymore i'm not really looking for that kind of attention like that that feels weird like you don't you don't want people like talking about you for those sorts of reasons so i'm still glad i went through that and you can kind of blame lenny bruce for that uh if you could pick any career in the world now what would it be well i would be a stand-up comedian a podcaster a radio host and a music journalist 
but like other than that um I would like to be a wrestling commentator <laughs> like that's always been my dream job that's always been the kind of thing that I would love to love to do I love wrestling I think it's like it's campy and fun and just over the top and theatrical and I'd love to create the words behind that I'd love to be the one to go oh my god except for not like that I'd actually need to work on that a lot because I don't think my current voice suits wrestling commentary that well one day maybe I'll do a little thing and we can see what that sounds like but not tonight um and wow there's still more sorry uh I definitely don't think anyone's still listening but this is cathartic I'm enjoying it would you rather be rich and alone or poor and in love, assuming you had a choice in either? I mean, this isn't even a contest. Of course, I would rather be rich and alone. No, I'm kidding. Uh, poor and in love, that's, it really isn't like a question. I don't really care like that much about money. I feel like I'm probably going to be poor most of my life, but maybe not. You know, I am working towards not being poor. I am trying to earn more money than I'm earning at the moment and save more of that money so that long term I can do more things but at the same time you know it does all seem kind of fucking pointless when World War 3 is about to start at any point uh, so yeah pouring in love like I'm, I am a romantic at heart like I always have been ever since I was much younger even though I don't think I don't know if romantic or obsessive is the correct word to use there but I'll just go with romantic and next up, what do you think is the best and worst thing about the Durban comedy scene? Um, huh, this one's a bit hard. The best thing is just how friendly we all are, like in general. Like a lot of comedians are very friendly, very helpful. Getting into the scene's pretty easy. Although, you know, I think stuff might change. There has been some conflicts of late. There, there's We're reaching more of a fever pitch when it comes to people, or like a critical mass is probably more the word, like the terminology I was looking for there. Uh, so, yeah, I love just how friendly everyone is. Um, that is one of the best things about it. It's got some of the most genuine, cool people. And like people aren't as conniving and thriving as they are in other places. But that also means the worst thing in the Durban comedy scene is probably apathy and people being lazy and being lackadaisical and not working hard enough on their things and not like being ambitious enough to organize more gigs and try and do more things you know we could have but the comedy scene is growing and more and more people are doing things and they are thriving in those things that they're doing so you know it's coming along nicely i definitely think we are reaching a cool point in durban comedy like it took us a lot longer than everyone else because we started behind everyone else but yeah we're developing and i like it and yeah that's what i think the best and worst thing in the durban comedy scene is so what skill or talent do I have that no one knows about? Um, I could play ice hockey. I used to do that when I was younger. And temp and boiling. I'm fairly good at that. Um, my mom used to work at the temp and boiling alley down by the beachfront when I was younger. She also used to like play for South Africa and stuff like that. Um, well, she made the South African team. She didn't actually get to represent them because she couldn't afford to go overseas, which is fucking tragic. Uh, but anyway... She, you know, still at least achieved that. And, yeah, so because of that, I temp and bowled a bit when I was younger. Like my first job was actually being the scorer for birthday parties for temp and boiling, which was pretty fun. And, yeah, other than that, I can ice skate pretty well because I played ice hockey for quite a while. So that's, you know, not a skill that most Durbanites would have. Other than that, I don't really know that no one knows about, you know, things. I'm pretty good at Magic the Gathering. 
Um, I won the store championships at the Unseen Shop the other day, literally on Saturday, which was cool. Like, I've done that four times now. I've won the store championships. And they're actually one of my sponsors now, which is pretty cool. I keep saying that, which is pretty cool. So that's going to be something I hopefully edit out or something you're only going to notice now and not retroactively go, wow, he was saying that is pretty cool the whole time. But yeah, I play Magic the Gathering quite a bit, so I'm pretty good at that. Uh, but I do post about that a lot, and I think that's something that people know about. But I do think that um, my ability to roll joints is fucking impressive. And that is that. Uh, yeah, I'm done. I can't talk for much longer, to be completely honest with you. This has been really fun but also kind of emotionally draining and I'm not too sure if I'm going to regret putting this out I don't really want to listen to it again like I don't want to listen back and hear all the shit I just said because holy shit I really hate my own voice just having headphones on doing DYR and doing this like it's been a whole day of just listening to myself talk and I'm feeling kind of over that now and I feel like I'm going to enjoy this joint I'm going to be chatting to a few different people over the course of this week, I'm going to try to get like three or four of these done with other people. And hopefully we can learn from them. Uh, we can have cool conversations. We can, you know, I want to put other people on. I want to let you in on interesting people that you might not already know. Uh, that's definitely something that's important to me because, you know, the Durban creative scene doesn't get put on enough. Like, you know, we don't get the media coverage because we don't have the media channels. And so that's something we really do need to do more and so that's something I'm going to do with this podcast so yeah I'm going to introduce you to some people that you might not know or I'm going to get you to really know some people that you already kind of know and we're going to see if we can learn something from them anyway if you've listened this long thank you very much you can find me on twitter at bobnessmonster and everywhere else at I hate Bob Perfect. thank you so much and yeah please send me your comments and reviews or anything like that you don't need to put it on itunes this isn't on there yet but you can literally just tell me hey that was long and fucking rambly and don't ever do that again or you know what, bob that was actually really interesting and it's okay that you kind of stumble a bit because it's called the almost perfect podcast